Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We are grateful that you are our guest. We've been, over the past several months, as a body, reading through the book of Proverbs, and we've been preaching through the book of Acts. The reason that we do that is because our conviction is that the Bible which is made up of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is in fact the Word of God. As such, we don't sing anything that we don't fully believe. We don't pray any prayers that we don't believe that God can answer. And what I share with you this morning from God's word, from Acts 9, I believe with full conviction of heart. Because we believe that the Bible not only perfectly records history, but it accurately interprets history. We believe that this word has life-giving power. And so we pray this morning that it would breathe fresh life into our souls. The expressed purpose of our gathering together this morning is to celebrate the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I want to be as explicit about this as possible. Three days after Jesus was brutally executed, he was raised victoriously from the dead by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates that God alone ultimately rules over life and death. He alone holds the keys to death and to Hades, because he alone conquered death. God's word says that in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. That's why I believe it. That's why I'm proclaiming it. Further, Jesus lived a perfectly pure life according to This word, he healed others by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and he claimed to be the sinless Son of God. That's an extraordinary claim for a human being. But the resurrection from the grave was the ultimate validation of the life and the ministry and the message of Jesus. God's word says that in Acts 2. In verse 24, the resurrection proves that the father accepted the perfect sacrifice of his son as a substitute for sinners, and through his death and resurrection, the father offers the free gift of salvation to anyone who expresses faith in Jesus. Romans 4, verse 25. The resurrection of Jesus. Think about the miracle of what I'm about to say. 
the resurrection of Jesus guarantees the resurrection of believers from the dead. So that one day we can be ushered into the presence of the Father to experience full and free and overflowing joy forever. God's word says that in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 14. That's why we believe it, and that's why I'm proclaiming it. But in today's passage from Acts 9, we see the reality that the power of the resurrection is not just the power that secures our life to come. Resurrection power is also the immeasurable greatness of God's power that's at work in us and that's at work in the world, even now, even today, even this morning. In our passage, this remarkable power of God is on display in the lives of two very, very vulnerable very, very helpless, and very, very precious people. Our passage is Acts 9, verses 32 through 43. So for those of you who were here on Good Friday, we had preached through the previous section, which ended with these words, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You might remember from earlier in our study of Acts that Peter and the other apostles had stayed in Jerusalem because the church was under attack. Well, I think this this peace that fell upon the church here is what freed Peter to then be able to go outward with the good news of the gospel. Other people were already doing it. We remember Philip preaching the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. In this case... Peter moves west from Jerusalem towards the Mediterranean Sea, and he comes to a town called Leda, and then continues onward to Joppa, which was the nearest seaport to Jerusalem. And here's what happens. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas or gazelle. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. 
But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he, he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So Lord, would you please help us now to see what you want us to see about the greatness of the glory of Jesus and his resurrection through these two miracles. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, our, our beloved Lord. Amen. So one of the mistakes that a lot of people make when they study miracles in the Bible is that they fail to think about the way the miracles specifically reveal the glory of Jesus. They may spend a lot of time thinking through the context and analyzing the details, but the main point is what these powerful miracles reveal about Jesus, God's Son. Now, we've said on, on, on multiple occasions at this point in our study of Acts that, that Luke uh, the gospel writer Luke is the author of Acts, and that the book of Acts is his sequel, or book two, following the gospel of Luke, which then, of course, would be book one. Now, the, the longest section of Luke's final chapter of his gospel describes a conversation that Jesus has with two disciples. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead, and they're on a road walking toward a town called Emmaus. As they talk, Jesus actually rebukes them for failing to understand what the prophets had said about the Messiah, because they don't recognize that it's Jesus. So they begin telling him all about what happened in Jerusalem, and that this man that they thought was the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, actually was crucified on a Roman cross and died. So they were, they were, they were just devastated. And they say to him, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about this? Little did they know. And then Luke writes this just amazing sentence. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he, that is Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, it's possible to study the Bible carefully and miss the whole main point, which is the way that the Bible points us to Jesus. So we're going to try to avoid that error this morning. Now, since Luke clearly wants these two miracles in our passage to be thought of together, to be taken together, our main focus is to celebrate the way the raising of Aeneas and the raising of Tabitha point to the glory of Jesus and his resurrection. That's as explicitly as I can say it. We'll, we'll do this by looking at four ideas. 
I want, I want to look at the way both miracles echo similar miracles done by Jesus. I want us to look at the fact that both miracles depend on the life-giving power of Jesus. Both miracles illustrate the redeeming work of Jesus, and both miracles brought people to saving faith in Jesus. And as we walk through those, I'll show you where those truths come out from the passage. So all four of these ideas bring tremendous glory to Jesus. So we'll just begin with our first point. The language that Luke uses to describe both the miracles in our passage make it exceedingly clear that he wants us to remember similar miracles. He wants us to bring to mind similar miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry. In Luke 5, Jesus was in Capernaum teaching, and people had come from regions all around him. Jesus was extraordinarily popular at this moment because he was teaching the word of God with authority, and he was healing people in miraculous ways. So his reputation had gone out, and he is likely in Peter's house in Capernaum, and the house is just packed There's so many people that they're clamoring on the outside, trying to get through the windows. The religious leaders are sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's just no more room. So people have to sit outside and hope to be able to hear what he's proclaiming. Well, a few guys bring one of their friends because they hear that Jesus is there and that he has the power to heal, but he's paralyzed. And so they're carrying him on his bed or on his mat There's no way they're getting him through the door. There's no way they're getting him through this sea of people. So they climb up onto the roof. And they lift up the top layer and burrow a hole. So if this is Peter's house, he probably didn't really appreciate that. But in the end, I guess he thought it was okay. And they lower their friend on his mat down ostensibly at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus sees this, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. That's probably not what his friends thought Jesus was going to say or to do. But when Jesus says this, the religious leaders that are gathered around, they all start freaking out. They start accusing him of blasphemy. They say, only God can forgive sins. Great. Point. Jesus goes on to say, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, listen to his words carefully, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. There's always a deeper spiritual meaning to which every physical healing is pointing. In this case, it was that Jesus had the authority to heal. Therefore, he had the authority to forgive sins. Now, remember Jesus' words. In our passage here in Acts 9, this is what Peter says to Aeneas, the paralyzed man in our story. 
He says literally, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and tend to your bed. In other words, tidy up your mat. Put it away. You're not going to need it anymore. The language is almost identical. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this would have been like for him? And if he had a family, what it would have been like for his family. Sometimes we see stories about people who have been involved in terrible car crashes, for example, or have some kind of other accident, and they have a back injury, and they may be paralyzed, or they may, they may eventually learn to walk again after just arduous grinding and therapy year after year after year. In this case, Aeneas, after being paralyzed for eight years, was healed in an instant Everything comes back to him. His whole life comes back to him. Jesus has, figuratively speaking, raised him from the dead and given him his life back. This physical healing points to an even greater spiritual reality. Now, this miracle, this figurative raising from the dead, is designed to be taken by Luke with this other miracle, this literal raising from the dead. Listen to these words. When Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, he puts everyone else out of the room and kneels down and prays. Then he says to her, Tabitha, arise. And she she opens up her eyes and she sits up. Then Peter takes her hand and raises her up. In Aramaic, Peter had said to her, Tabitha kumi, that is Tabitha arise. Now just hold that in your mind for a moment. Hold that image and those words in your mind for just a moment. Recall the story from Mark 5. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, Jesus puts everyone out of the room except her parents. And Peter, and James, and John. Jesus takes Jairus' daughter by the hand, and he says to her, Little girl, I say to you, arise. In Aramaic, Jesus had said to her, Talitha kumi. So, What joyful truth does Luke want us to see? Tabitha kumi, Talitha kumi. He wants us to see that Peter is healing through the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ continues to heal. As the apostles of Jesus go out to serve as witnesses, Jesus validates their ministry by granting them his power, his resurrection power to do extraordinary miracles. We are a very ordinary people who believe some very extraordinary things about God because that's what God's word says. God can do anything he wants because by nature, he is God. And we love to rejoice in these truths. So if, if you're here this morning 
And maybe for years, your soul has been just shriveled up, dry, maybe dead. Know that this word has life-giving power. Your soul can be resurrected to life. If, if you're hurting, look to the one who said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If for years you have been bound by habitual sin, to the point where you, you, you can't get up to live as a result of it. Know that this word has resurrection power. Jesus Christ can breathe life into your soul and set you free. If you were here this morning just broken about the spiritual condition of, of a loved one, Don't give up praying for them. Don't give up knocking. Don't give up asking. Don't give up interceding. Call out to him who once declared, I am the resurrection and the life. Call out to Jesus. He may this very moment, at this very hour, breathe life into the dead soul of your loved one. And he might, because he still loves to save sinners to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, the fact that Luke wants us to see the glory of Jesus revealed in these two miracles, it's, it's further evidenced by the fact that he records that Peter depends upon the life-giving power of Jesus for both healings. Verse 34, it's, it's very, very obvious. You can see it, obviously, as easy, easily as I can. Peter explicitly says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. In verse 40, after Peter puts everyone else out of the room, he kneels down and prays to God through faith in Jesus. So, in Peter's pronouncement to Aeneas... And in his prayers over Tabitha, Peter expresses his utter dependence upon Jesus Christ and upon the resurrection power of Jesus. A couple things become exceedingly clear, as simple as they are. First, Peter fully believes that Jesus is alive. Otherwise, he wouldn't be talking to him and asking Jesus to heal and further, Peter still believes that Jesus heals. Now, when Luke opened the book of Acts, he wrote in chapter 1 and verse 1 these words. In the first book, O Theophilus, that is in his gospel, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication of that opening verse is that this second book, the book of Acts, is about what Jesus continues to do 
and to teach. And we see that explicitly in this passage. The only way that can be possible is if, in fact, Jesus is alive. And not only risen, but risen to reign, as we have already sung this morning. The reason that's important is because he must possess authority from heaven to command this temporal world. And we already know this is true because in our last passage at the conversion of Saul, Jesus spoke to Saul from heaven with authority and transformed him in an instant. So again, no matter what you might be facing personally this morning, no matter what's troubling your heart, or no matter what opposition we might face, as believers in this world, even in America in the coming years, I want you to take heart. Know that Jesus is reigning over us from the place of ultimate authority that is at the right hand of Almighty God in heaven, and take heart because Jesus is as actively attentive to his people in the 21st century as he was to his people in the very first century. Jesus promised, and we take him at his word. Jesus promised when he delivered his commission in Matthew's gospel that he would never leave us nor forsake us, and that he would be with us even to the end of the age. So, whether the end of the age comes later this afternoon or whether the end of the age doesn't happen for 2,000 or more years. Brothers and sisters, know with 100% certainty that Jesus will never, ever forsake us. Now, both of these miracles point to a deeper spiritual meaning in, in a really a fascinating way. What Luke wants us to see here is the connection between the raising of Aeneas, the raising of Tabitha, and the raising of Jesus from the dead. Luke uses the exact same Greek word to describe what is happening in both of the miracles here and in Acts 2.24, earlier in the book, when he says that God raised Jesus up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So, the deeper spiritual meaning is that just as a paralyzed man is helpless to rise and walk in his own power, or even more dramatically, more obviously perhaps, Just like a woman is helpless in her own power to breathe new life into her dead body, so too we are just as helpless to redeem ourselves from our sin. We are just as dependent on the resurrection power of Jesus to cause us to rise from the dead spiritually as Aeneas was to walk and as Tabitha was to breathe again. 
Paul told us in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, and we believe this with wholehearted conviction because this is what God's word says, in Ephesians 2, 1, that we were utterly dead in our trespasses and sins. So in a sense, we were like spiritual zombies. We were dead men walking, following the prince of the power of the air, by nature, children of wrath. But he goes on to say, he goes on to say in Ephesians 2, 5, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. We were entirely dependent upon the resurrection power of Jesus to save our souls. By grace we have been saved. And listen, listen carefully to the language that Paul uses here. Despite the fact that we were dead spiritually, he says God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So, if you are a believer in Jesus, if your heart loves Jesus, if you believe that he died and was resurrected for the forgiveness of your sins, if you believe that by faith, then God has done a miracle of resurrection in your soul. Don't ever say, if you are a believer in Jesus, that that God didn't save me in a dramatic way. Because he did a resurrection miracle to save you. So don't ever say that, unless of course you don't think resurrection's a big deal. (laughs) Praise God for both the beauty and the power of the gospel message. Praise God that he alone is the God of resurrection power. Now, the final observation that we see in our passage for this morning is that both of these miracles had the effect of bringing people to saving faith in Jesus. When God does something amazing, when when we observe God doing a thing that is amazing, a singular thing, in reality, he's probably doing 10,000 other things in that miracle or through that miracle that we just don't have eyes to see. In this situation, God did incredible personal miracles to to give Aeneas his figurative life back. And to give Tabitha her literal life back. But God used the sowing of these physical miracles, as extraordinary as they were, to reap an even greater spiritual harvest in the surrounding region. Verse 35. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him. That is, they saw Aeneas the man who had been bedridden for eight years, they saw him walking around, healed. And verse 35 says, all of the residents saw this and turned to the Lord. That's amazing. Or verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa. Do you think? 
that Tabitha had been raised from the dead? How many resurrections have you personally witnessed? How many do you think they had? One. One. So, the message got out. And, verse 42 says, many believed in the Lord as a result of it. Again, amazing. These physical miracles were wonderful in and of themselves, but these miracles also served the greater cause of the gospel. I say this carefully, but we could say the same thing even of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about it with me. As much as Jesus deserved to be raised from the dead to vindicate his perfect obedience, the grave couldn't hold him because he never sinned. So death and the curse of death and the curse of sin had no claim on him. As much as Jesus deserved to be raised from the dead to vindicate his perfect obedience, just to be clear, perfect obedience as it relates to the law, perfect obedience not just in every action, not just in every word, in every single thought at every moment of his life. Because if he failed for one second, you don't have a savior and you're dead in your sins as you sit here this morning. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly at every moment. So I say again, as much as Jesus deserved to be raised from the dead, to vindicate his perfect obedience, as much as the Father, no doubt, delighted to raise his beloved Son from the dead as vindication of his glory and honor, as much as the Holy Spirit undoubtedly rejoiced for Jesus to be alive, as much as heaven assuredly erupted in absolutely unhindered and unmuted praise when Jesus walked out of the tomb. Despite these realities, God was doing even more. He was doing even more than this singular, incomparable act. He was, through the resurrection of Jesus, making a way for Thousands, if not millions, if not billions, if not tens of billions of sinners to be reconciled to himself forever. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. This is a reason to rejoice and this is a reason to celebrate this morning. In fact, this is the reason we are celebrating this morning. Today is a happy day, brothers and sisters, because today is a day we celebrate that our Redeemer lives. So happy Easter. Don't hold back in your rejoicing because of what you know to be true about Jesus. And glory be to the Father and to his glorious Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, and amen. amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would do a work in us now. Cause uh, the truths that we are proclaiming to be received deep within our hearts, 
give us complete convictional resolve about their truthfulness so that we might not only live in light of the implications of the fact that these things are true, but I pray that at this moment we would sing for pure joy because of our confidence that these things in fact are true. So, our great God, glorify yourself now among your people as Father, Son, and Spirit. We ask in the name of our blessed and beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.